I've never been a classic adventurer. There's a certain breed that's cut from a certain cloth, and that's not me. Like that's not me. I, I'm I'm on the other side of the fence where I'm I'm the viewer of those trips. I'll never be that, and I don't really feel the desire or urge to be that. Mm. I'm just going to be a guy that gives things a punt and just enjoys it. Hell, because that's 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 what life's about. Welcome to the very first podcast episode from We Are Explorers. We are thrilled to have finally pulled our fingers out and entered the podcast game. But why are we doing this? Well, what I've loved most about building We Are Explorers over the last six years is the passion in the people I've encountered along the way. And the outdoor industry spans such a wild range of crafts too. Pro athletes and adventurers, photographers, filmmakers, tour operators, trail builders, store owners, cabin designers, wilderness therapists, the list goes on. But we're all united by one thing. Adventure and the natural world has shaped who we are and how we choose to lead our lives. So the purpose of this podcast is to showcase this collective awesomeness of the adventure community. I'll be chin-wagging with a mob of incredible humans who I've been so fortunate to have crossed paths with. Our first guest is pro adventurer Justin Jones. Justin is best known for kayaking to New Zealand unsupported, skiing to the South Pole and trekking nearly 2,000 kilometres across the outback with his wife and 18-month-old daughter. We talk about fear, adventure dad life, self-confidence, the daily need for adventurous thinking, and, and lots more. It's a fun and insightful show that I hope you can take something useful from. I'm your host, Henry Bryden, founder of We Are Explorers, and I hope you enjoy it. Justin, it's so good to have you on the podcast, mate. Real honor to yeah, have you as our first guest on the, on the show. And I just want to jump straight into it. COVID. So we've, we, we've talked about this a bit, a bit recently, and let's just uh, address that and then we can move on. I think people are getting probably a bit sick of talking about it, but I'm particularly interested in how you as a, as a professional adventurer has, yeah, how it's cocked up your plans, basically, and what you're doing to kind of navigate those waters. It's an interesting situation. I think for the first time in a lot of our lives, in our generation, the younger generation, we're all going on a real period of uncertainty. Um, and it feels like to me uh, <laughs> that we're all on an adventure. The whole entire world is on an adventure because an adventure is an activity with an unknown outcome. And here we don't know how each day is going to unfold. There's this murky picture. And so there's a lot of uncertainty there. And you can get pretty down about it. But I actually am, you know, all the, the terrible things aside, the fact that people are dying across the world, you know, and people are getting sick and families are, your know, industries are getting decimated. Mm. There's a level of excitement that I have because this is a moment in history. It really is. I, I was probably a little bit too naive when I suppose 9-11 happened uh, to see the real impact on that, on, on the world. But this, we are living in a moment of history that people are going to look back on and read about in 50, mm. 100 years time. This is when the world changed for, you know, and I hope for the better. So there's a level of sort of excitement around that because I like operating in the uncertain. Like when things are too comfortable, I can get pretty complacent. But mm -hmm. with this uncertainty, I'm actually feeling a, a sense of um, invigoration around it. That said, two kids in an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment in Bondi yeah. with social distance. Oh man, it's uh, yeah. As a as a dad as well, it, it's definitely been challenging. If it makes you feel any better, I've got friends. Uh, I'm from the UK. I've got friends who live in two bedroom apartments in central London with kids, homeschooling, confined to those four walls. And I think, crikey, like I can I can deal with it. If it's at Bondi Beach or where I am up in Byron, you know, the fact that we can get outdoors and get in the water is is something, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, the, the one thing that's bad around Bondi is they've shut down the beaches. So they've shut down the beaches and they're, they're about to release those restrictions soon. But that said, uh, I've been climbing down cliffs and jumping in the water there because those areas aren't shut. And so it goes to be efficient. So, yeah, well, I mean, if I didn't have that, I would be going nuts. I would actually be going insane and I'd probably be buried because my wife would have murdered me already. <laughs> 
Well, mate, I, there's quite a few things I want to kind of cover off, but yeah, sure. um, I think I'd love to jump into, I guess, the background, really. There's a probably a lot of stories here, but in terms of when your life of adventure really kind of began, like I'm always really curious about people who have made adventure their kind of living, whether, you know, they were sort of born in, in the desert with a family of roaming nomads or or whether they sort of halved out an adventurous existence through by virtue of you know, people that they've met along the way. Or, you know, so I'm keen to sort of find out, you know, I guess, first of all, did you grow up as part of an outdoorsy family and was, you know, adventure on your, on your doorstep growing up? I still think that I am an accidental adventurer. I, I really do. But looking back on my life, there were a couple of things that were very different. So the first of all, my parents, um, sort of my mum was from Indonesia, always from Indonesia, uh, Chinese Indonesian. She grew up there, sixth generation Chinese living in Indonesia. And uh, my dad's Australian. So product of a mixed marriage. And I grew up, I was born in Australia, but then at six months moved over to Indonesia to live in Indonesia. And the first place I lived down there was a place called Bengkulu. My dad, been a geologist, actually was working in a gold mine. Hmm. And so we were in the middle of absolutely nowhere back then, the 80s. You had to get there, you had to fly, catch a bus, then I think there was a train and then you had to walk. And it was this campsite in the jungle. We didn't have glass in our windows. We had bars because we had <laughs> tiger prints actually outside our windows. People would get taken from the camp. And so... I've got all these photos of me as a little toddler in this crazy Indonesian jungle in this environment. And I don't remember this at all, but this became part of the mythology I had growing up. You know, this was my start, my beginning, my brother, got photos of my brother like marching into the gold mine and they were homeschooled and they remember it, my brother and sister. But this became part of my mythology. And so grew up in Indonesia for 11 years. And when I came back to Australia, I, you know, I was a pretty loud out there kid, you know, wanting to be the center of attention to a degree being the youngest child. But I went to boarding school and I found myself retracting in a shell. I was too young, probably 11 when I came over here. Mm. And uh, it was only the outdoors in the later years of, of high school that actually allowed me to open up and become mm. the person that I, I naturally am. Mm-hmm. and these trips just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I say I'm accidental because I never intended to, to go off there and, and be a professional ex- adventurer or explorer. Like I didn't even realize that existed. I was trying to push down the path of medicine or, mm-hmm. or commerce or something like that. And so it was funny. Like it was just really natural. Went on the, this, this journey down the, the Murray River, 2,500 kilometers over 49 days, and that led on to the Tasman because – Hiking felt like bushwalking on water and I'm a bushwalker by trade. And then, you know, dabbled a little bit in some mountaineering and that felt like just bushwalking on steeper, you know, colder terrain. And then down in Antarctica, it was bushwalking across a frozen, frozen landscape and then through the outback. So it really just has been a natural progression for me, you know, yeah. and I don't think I'll ever become an expert in anything, any one thing. I'm not going to be, I still don't call myself a kayaker, even though I've hiked across the Tasman Sea. Um, I'm never going to call myself a ski, even though I've skied across Antarctica, basically. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just about enjoying life, really. Was there like an individual teacher or was there a, a school camp? Like, was there a particular person or, or, or I guess, moment that, that allowed you to kind of really, you know, use this energy that you had in, and, 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 and drive it into being outdoors, which may have been sort of a catalyst for, for what came after? It's interesting because I, I really believe that adventure doesn't really have to have one shape or form. It can't, doesn't just generally have to be in the outdoors. And so I had a blueprint probably laid down by my mum and dad before me, but there wasn't a traditional adventurous sort of background or outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. So my mum, she's a really interesting woman. She was born and raised in a, in a fishing village in, uh, in Banka, an island of Sumatra. And she started work when she was four years old. She never finished high school. She but she's an amazingly powerful, typical Asian tiger mom. She's crazy. And she's probably one of the most adventurous people that I know, but she wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. She's adventurous in business. My dad, being a geologist, he would come back with stories like after having been in the bush throughout Indonesia, he'd have like, you know, blow, blow pipes from the Dayak people and like, you know, bow and arrows and stuff like that. And I used to like pour over this stuff. So the stories were being laid down in my mind, I suppose, when I was young. And that was just incubating there for a while until probably uh, high school. And high school where I probably met um, my mate Cass, who I did a couple of these big expeditions with. And, and I think we were both quite lost at that time, being young guys trying to search and navigate the world. And for us, we both found that companionship and solace in the outdoors. 
And yeah, look, we butt heads when we're in the city together, but when we're on a journey, like it, it really gels quite well. And I think at the start of my outdoor career, I think that was was quite powerful to have another person to to walk down that path with. Look, in terms of the adventures you've done, like you've touched upon some of them, and unfortunately, we haven't got enough time to probably go into into all of them in a, in a great depth. But you've done some fucking wild adventures, mate. And and I came across them, you know, when I first arrived in in Australia, and and you were one of the first people that we featured on the site, and we went we went quite big, quite quite early with that one. And I've never forgotten how open you were to kind of sharing that that story with us. And it's been great. We've been able to sort of continue that that friendship kind of moving forward. But I've I've always been curious, and I think a lot of our listeners probably would be as well, around the motivation behind, first of all, doing those trips and choosing to, you know, wake up one day and say, I'm going to paddle to New Zealand or I'm going to, mm. you know, ski to the South Pole. What is that? What is that? What, you know, what is it that kind of motivates you? And, and what motivates you to keep going? Jeez. Oh, uh, the motivation one's an interesting one. Uh, it's going to sound a bit strange. I'll, I'll say something a little bit flippant, but there's a lot of truth behind it. I, I'm really motivated by FOMO, <laughs> like a fear of missing out, like honestly. Uh, I have, you know, I'm getting a little bit long in the tooth now compared to what I was, but I've got enough regret. In my, I've got a lot of regret in my life about things that I didn't do. And I, uh, and I realized at a certain point in time that, you know, I don't want to have those regrets. I'm perpetually curious. Like I, my wife tells me I'm really frustrating to be around at times because, you know, if we're going for a, for a, a bushwalk, then we'll, you know, I'll, I'll need to see what's on top of that hill or I want to check out that view and I'll be a pain in the ass about it. I really, really will. And I'll push things and I'm forever late to things because I'm always like just trying to eke out the most amount of time. Mm. I mean, that said, that doesn't mean that I'm the most motivated person you'll find in the world. I, I find I have a specific gravity. If I am stopped and not moving, then it's hard mm. to move me. But once <laughs> I'm moving, it's pretty hard to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think that fear of missing out is, is a big one. I'll tell you a little story. and It's going to sound like the most ridiculous thing in the world. But I think about it on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis. And it was when I was in year 11 high school I signed up for the school musical and we had auditions and back then I was a bit of a wallflower and shy and you know I was a fat kid at school and so I signed up and then when it came time to actually go to the auditions I froze you know I was too scared to get up out of my seat and, and volunteer myself to, 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 to do that and it's something that I think about and regret you know <laughs> I'd much rather have gone out there and completely fluffed up in retrospect than to have just been too scared to do anything. So I always weigh up when I'm about to do anything, I weigh up the, the, the regret I'll feel, you know, versus the fear that I have at the moment. And generally the regret always wins, you know, so I'll, I'll take on that fear. Totally. It's almost like it's a byproduct of uh, one of the great byproducts of getting older is you give less of a shit about things. And, you know, make, making a tit out of yourself isn't quite so fearful as it, as it once was. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's many times where you sort of feel like you're nervous to, to make a total plum of yourself. But generally speaking, it becomes a little more tolerable. You know? I've, I've noticed that with children as well, raising kids. So I've got a four-year-old and a five-month-old. And, you know, when, when you're a child, when you're young and you really see it in your, in your kids, the world revolves around them. They think their wall, you know, their world is initially that two meters around them and mum and dad come in, into that two meters and it raises to the house, their neighborhood eventually gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's the world. And, you know, as a young guy, I think, you know, in your, in your teenage years, you still think about yourself, you know, mm. in reality, the world doesn't give a shit about you. It really doesn't. My earlier trips, there was a lot of ego. There was a lot of ego around that and not ego in the fact that I big up myself is more about like wanting to matter. As a, mm. as, a, as a young guy and be seen. And I think now it's, it's less about that. It's more about the experience. And it's about sharing that with other people and about sharing it with my family, the people on that journey, my, my kids, and, and just looking back on life and going, you know what? I lived it. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't waste it. I think about that all the time as well, Jess, because I'm so conscious that, and it almost sounds morbid, but it's almost like a, a semi-fear of death, death plot that's sort of not ever that far away. And, and it's, it's, this, it's this awareness that time is so precious and we don't have a lot of it. And, no. um, and, it, and it goes so quickly. And, I, and I, 
we're in quite similar boats in the sense that you know we've become you know, dads in the last like few years, and 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 um, and that changes things. You know, there's a lot more habitual stuff I think that comes in when you become a dad, and therefore time seems to move a bit quicker. And it's a really uh, like it's an unsettling feeling. So it's good to it's good to chat to someone who, who shares that 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 worry, I suppose, and is, and is also doing something about it. It's inspiring. Well, it's interesting. We we, we raise kids into it, uh, bring kids into it. Um, someone once said to me, and it's so true, when you have kids, the nights are so long, but the months are so short. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking back <laughs> and I'm like, geez, Morgan's four years old now. And I'm like, oh man, that means I'm four years older. And they're like, I've, I've used up some of that candle wick that I have. Uh, and so I need, to, I need to keep chasing. You need to, you need to remember that. <laughs> totally. We sort of talk about, a bit about the motivation, but the thing I'm always quite curious about is and I asked this question because it's been asked, I've been asked it before uh, sure. about the, the bike trip that I did, but which sort of pales in, in, in significance in terms of what you've done. But the self-confidence thing is a big one that people kind of question. It, and there's, there's sort of two parts to it. It's like the confidence in, first of all, believing that you can do something fairly audacious like you've done. And then second of all, like in midway through, when invariably shit goes wrong, how do you kind of keep going? Yeah, I think for, for me now, it's because I've done the things in the past that I know that I can probably grind out things a lot better than most people can. And so I've got that self-confidence of having walked down that path yeah. to a degree. But if I go back in time to the first couple of trips, you know, the first, you know, and it, it has to be incremental. For me, it had to be incremental. So it was just, you know, bushwalking. There's a couple of days bushwalking and then it turned into a, a five-day bushwalk. And then it was the Murray River. And, it, and these trips mm. just gradually get bigger and bigger and, and steeper on that difficulty, difficulty curve. I mean, I look back on an expedition and I don't, I call it an expedition. It's more like it's a trip paddled across Bass Strait. And there's, there's a lot of danger in that. I mean, just, just a little, uh, just a little paddle. <laughs> just, just a little paddle. It's actually still to this day, hands down the best expedition I've ever been on in my life. Interesting. Nine, nine days out there and just the bang for your buck that you get from that is phenomenal. You land on these islands and you basically own these islands because there's no one else. Um, so then you have this amazing adventure and you're at the mercy of, of mother nature, but you just play the game, you have your plan, your strategy. And, and I think that's where I find a lot of confidence. I am not a risk taker. Like I'm a risk mitigator. I want to bring things down to a level of safety that I feel comfortable with. Cause mm. when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm a pretty scared bike, you know, I'm scared of dying. I don't, I'm not scared of dying. I'm conscious of dying and I don't want to end up in a bad situation. Um, so I'll, bring everything down to a level I feel comfortable with. You won't see me jumping off buildings with a parachute, this, that, the other. Um, yeah, I think that's a level of risk that I'm not willing to assume, but it's about mitigating risk. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, that's, yeah. Where a lot of, yeah, that's where confidence comes from. Yeah. T- totally right. So it's almost been like you're sort of upgrading your adventures each time in terms of, yeah, the level it's going to sort of push you. So like, you know, you started on paddles that were river-based and relatively, you know, contained and, and relatively safe, you know, yep. and then, and then it's a case of setting the goalposts for, for somewhere that's going to sort of test you a little bit more each time. And, and don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of naivety that was involved in the first couple of trips as well. So with the, the Tasman journey came up with that idea on the Murray river. And when we committed to that plan several years later, it, w- w- I hadn't paddled offshore you know, in a kayak. And <laughs> right. Antarctica, 15 months before we headed down to Antarctica was the first time I put on skis. Yeah. So I, I honestly, I think there's a level of naivety, like going, yep, I'm going to do this big, massive, bold goal and then realizing that you don't have the skills. And so um, I, I think if you were a little bit further down the track and you were a paddler and kayak, you might realize the severity of it and you yeah. might choose not to go on, on those trips. Yeah. But I never think you should let, let the lack of skill stop you from having a dream. Totally right. David, um, there's a guy, I don't know if you've come across David Cornthwaite. He's, uh, he yeah. runs the Yes Tribe. Yeah. Um, he talks about something called uh, delusional optimism, which uh, really resonated with me because, and I, I, I'm curious to know if it does with you as well, because I mean, it, it, it does exactly what it says in the Tim, but it's the idea of sort of having a slightly, you know, left of center view on the world, and, but, but, but inherently glass, glass half full. And actually, when you put those, those two things together, some pretty interesting plans can get concocted and, and you tend to follow through with them because you're like, well, fuck it, what's the worst that's going to happen? And I think that that probably carries many people through. I mean, would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I definitely think so. And it's, it's even better if you want to really force yourself to go on a trip. Here's a little hack. Get another person who's also the same way. And then it turns into this sort of loop where you keep on ramping each other up yeah. until finally. And, th- and then you, you, you enunciate that that dream is. You tell it to a group of people and you totally. know, shit, now I can't back out. Yeah, exactly It's out right. there. It's out there. Yeah, um, it's totally, totally right. Yeah, you're sort of socially um, accountable. Oh, and, and alcohol does help. It really does. Oh, big time. Like, yeah, have a couple of drinks and you come up with some. I mean, that's where the Outback trip came from. You know, okay, it was, right. my, my wife and I, it was our first date night we had after Morgan was born. So four months into Morgan's life, we were not doing well because she was not a sleeper. She, yeah. you know, she had to sleep attached to someone as they were walking. So I was that dad in Bondi that was walking around at 3 a.m. in the morning on the streets. I actually got kind of fit because I'd go off to the jungle, the gym down there, and just do chin ups at two a.m. in the morning because the <laughs> baby strapped to you because no one else is around. By the by, and, the beach road, by the beach road hotel for a cheeky, for a cheeky. Yeah, yeah, you go down there have a cheeky beer with a baby strapped to you as well. But uh, I, um, yeah, we had our first date night and we had too much wine, way too much wine. We were incredibly sleep deprived, mm-hmm. and then we were like, you know, well, maybe we should go on your next trip, Justin, as a family, and we we're like. Let's do that. Mm. Let's do that. Yeah. And I think it was, if we didn't go on that date night, it wouldn't have happened. Honestly. Yeah. And was it sort of waking up in the morning and sort of as a glance at each other where we're like, we did agree that, didn't we? Yeah, so we, did, we did. We're going we're gonna to do this, aren't we? Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. I, mean, that's, I think that's such a wonderful way to, to do it, you know, to, because there's invariably moments where you kind of lose the, uh, the lust for the idea. And if you've got someone else that's feeling particularly lustful for that idea at that time, then you can sort of perk yeah. each other up and, um, and keep the keep momentum going, really, for the tr- planning the trip. Um, oh, 100%. And there's something for me that I feel like I've, I've yet to do is to really go through that process completely solo. Mm. You know, do I have the medal? Do I have the medal to do that by myself? Because mm. I, I like bouncing off other people. I love sharing experiences with other people. But mm. could I go out there for an extended period of time, you know, 50, 80, 100 days by myself? And like in the future, I do want to do some trips like that. Totally, yeah. God, I, I, it seems to me I've all. I mean, I'm a, I'm a twin, so I've always grown up with right from when the eggs split. Uh, you know, sort of right, right there, someone next to me the whole way through. And I've always lent into yeah the people around me to kind of bounce ideas and reaffirm and all that sort of stuff. Being an extrovert kind of personality as well, you kind of thrive off that. But yeah, I, t- I took myself off into the blue into the blue mountains like oh, it's a couple of years ago now, and uh, I realized as I was cycling off into the hills for just an overnight bike pack, I was like this is the first time I've ever done it. Like, anything like this by myself. Incredibly empowering, actually. And it sounds really silly because I'm sure lots of people perhaps even listen to this, go off and do this sort of stuff by themselves all the time. But, you know, I hadn't done it. And it's a, it's a totally different experience. And I think it kind of, uh, you're, you're so much less reliant on, you know, the people around you, which means you're entirely responsible for like your own successful demise, I suppose. And that's, that, that's really empowering. And you're kind of much more alert because of it. And it sort of changes the nature of the experience. A bit more, stre- bit more stressful, but not really lonely because your mind is sort of engaged fully the whole time. I don't know like if, if you found that. Do you, do you like being by yourself, Henry? As I'm getting older, much more comfortable with, with it. Uh, I'm a bit of a daydreamer, so I like getting lost in my own thoughts, but I quickly want to chat about the things that are in my mind. I can't internalize stuff for too long. I need to bleh, split, spit out and bounce. Yeah. So within reason, but not really is, is a short answer. Out of curiosity, you? is your wife... That way, um, or is she is she more of an introvert? Yeah, more probably more more the other way. Okay, so it sort of sort of balances it out. Yeah, yeah. How yeah, it, uh, me, uh, yeah, I, I have a tendency to overshare and want to talk about things, and um, and and my yeah. wife will be like, just you know, can you give me a break at times. Yeah, like um, and she, she wants that quiet. <laughs> so like, okay, I'll go off and do something by myself for a while. <laughs> Oversharing, I just had flashbacks to some of the conversations we were having in uh, in New Zealand at the end of the last year, but probably not best. Probably not best shared. Yeah, let's let's go uh, after a couple of beers, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one one thing can I say on that? It's uh, probably one of the most powerful experiences I've had in my life was when because I I didn't when I was young I, I really didn't like being by myself. Like there was a loneliness that would sit in my chest, and I, and I wouldn't like that just being by myself. And uh, it was on a school camp, actually having to do 40 hours by yourself in a tent. He's made your own shelter and then you have to sit there for 40 hours straight. Mm-hmm. And I found that one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, you know, mm-hmm. for the first time in my, my young life. It's like 40 hours by yourself in the bush alone. Yeah. Cool. And 
I actually think it's something that everyone should experience, mm. you know, as long as you're safe. Yeah, I think it's an it's amazingly powerful experience because it's interesting to see where your mind goes when you cannot go anywhere, when you don't have a phone, you don't have communication, and you just have your own thoughts to contend with. Oh, completely. Uh, my mate recently did a Vipassana, which is uh, like a two-week oh, wow. you know, silent meditation where you can't look at anyone, let alone speak to them. Um, I think of like the 30 people that started, I think about two or three made it. You know, these, uh, you know, emaciated skeletons <laughs> rolled up. I, I could do that on an expedition, I think. I, yeah. I could do that time if I had a task. But if I yeah. had to sit with quiet, yeah. I, I think I, I'd probably explode. I probably would. I should do that. That should be my next expedition. Like, just be <laughs> quiet for two weeks. <laughs> hey, mate, one of the things that really jumped out when you did that first interview with us back you know, three or four years ago, maybe more now. No, it was more um, than that. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Uh, I don't know why I shortened that time. But yeah, it was probably about five years now. And I asked one of the classic questions, like, what was the scariest thing that happened on your adventure, particularly in, in regards to the Tasman crossing uh, in, in the kayak? There was one thing you said, which was around fear and how when a storm with 10 meter waves is sort of rolling through and you're in the middle of the Tasman Sea, which is notoriously one of the most dangerous stretches of water on the, on the planet. I just kind of want you to take me there in terms of what that experience is like, because I've got a deep seeded fear of you know deep ocean particularly in a storm like that, that 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 would be a nightmare experience for me and when you're that vulnerable in a kayak how do you yeah what's going through your head at that at that moment really curious so i'm going back in time now just just putting myself there there's a, there's a huge element of surrendering mm. i mean you can plan there was three and a half years of preparation and planning that led up to that journey before we decided decided that we were ready to take on the Tasman sea and a lot of heartache along the way. But when we're out there, you know, you've done all your bets, you've placed all your bets, you've done all the work, and now it's just reaction and sticking to the systems you've got out there. And so when you're in a kayak bobbing on an ocean where there's 10 meter waves crashing around you, it's incredibly humbling. You realize how small and how insignificant you are. Mm. You really are. And the power of the ocean, it, it, it doesn't care about you. I mean, although at times it felt slightly malicious, it's a strange thing, the ocean versus the land. Um, and and it was, it's terrifying when you're sitting in a cabin and you're getting tossed around and you're having waves crash over the top of you where you'd actually get pulled through waves at times. But, and you could easily lose yourself in that situation. Mm. So what I actually had going through my mind was a bit of a mantra. And, and I still at times come back to this because... I actually suffer from really severe claustrophobia. And so to be stuck in a cabin that's the size of maybe a coffin and a half stacked on top of each other in there with another bloke when it's hot, when you've locked down and it's hot and sweaty inside that thing and feels like you can't breathe, yeah. it, it, like my, my claustrophobia would go off. But this mantra kind of saved me. It was, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. I mean, in reality, this is the situation that you're in. You chose to be here. And yes, are you in a good situation? No, you're not. You're in a storm in the middle of the ocean, so accept that. But look at the facts. Look at the facts that if you weren't in this cabin, if you try to get out there because you've got this claustrophobia, then you would be dead. You know, you'd, you'd let water into the cabin. You'd be, it's better to be here suffering than it is to be out there in those elements. And so I used to say that mantra over and over again, mm. and it just helped me calm myself uh, to a degree. I mean, I think fear is a fascinating, fascinating thing. I think a lot of people run away from fear. And I honestly think you should embrace fear because it keeps you sharp. It keeps you honest. It keeps you humble. keeps you sane at times. Uh, the person without fear is a person that I fear. You know? that's, 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 I mean, I say that. You look at a person like Alex Honnold, I think they're just processing fear in a different way. Mm. But um, I think it's a very healthy thing and it, and it keeps people safe. I mean, that's how as, you know, evolved primates we kept safe actually in in the jungles of the world or the deserts of the world back in the day and i think to we're losing that in modern society because everything's too safe it's really interesting what you're talking about because i think what you've been able to do off the back of these adventures and i think particularly that the tasman was probably the first you know big one that, mm. that, that did a huge amount for what you're doing now is you know you've been able to you know create you know, all those lessons that you've learned through these experiences particularly that one to be able to sort of relay that to urban professionals like city folk who can benefit from a heap of things that you've learned and picked up in, albeit in a much more intense environment, but an environment that is very much you know, translatable for, for the modern day corporate. 
um, individual. And so it's almost like an explorer's mindset is, is a hell of a way for work for normal people to kind of think like, can you tell me a bit about, you know, you talk about fear and, 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 but are there other kind of key lessons that yeah. can be, tra- that can translate? Yeah. What I'll do before is I'll take a little step back and, and, and talk about the fact that I, I I'm a really average bloke. Like, I really, really am. And like, so I, you know, I'll have the odd hissy fit at home and stamp over this. And like, you know, there'll be days where I'm down the dumps and I'll see, you know, the glass is half empty rather than half full. And it was interesting. There was a, one person in particular that really shone a light onto it, on, onto it for me. Cause he put me on an expedition and it's something about an expedition. I think my, my emotions become slightly muted. And they sit more within a narrow band because that's safer to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to have these massive oscillations because when you're down the low, it's really bad for, for your head, the headspace down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was having a massive tantrum at home, you know, three odd years ago or something like that. And uh, it was over something stupid. I can't actually remember the incident. I think it was like I spilled my coffee on some papers or this, that, the other. I was going to burkos. And my wife pulled me up and she was like, I don't understand what's going on for you. And she, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I spilled my coffee. Like, is, you know, this is what's going on. She's like, yeah, but look, if you're on an expedition, like, you wouldn't have this response. You know, you wouldn't have this hissy fit. You wouldn't, you wouldn't lose your shit. And I said, so what's going on? I mean, like, what, what's the difference between then and now? And she really kind of fought me. I was angry at the time. And then I kind of fought me and I stopped. And I think I thought about it a lot. And I realized that I have two completely different mindsets. And like when I'm in a safe, comfortable space, I'll fall back to that very closed, non-growth mindset, you know, uh, mentality where, you know, things can derail you. But when you're on an expedition, you can't afford to do, can't afford to be like that. Mm. And so for me, it's about, it's, you know, a realization of what the stakes are to your actions mm. and what the consequences are. So on an expedition, you can't, you can't be like that. You can't afford to have a dummy spit over something because it might, take your eyes off the ball where all of a sudden you've had this cascade of events that will happen that will lead to your demise. So you can't do that. So you've got to hold those emotions in check. And so for now, I've been working on this, this concept of, I suppose, um, it's adventure thinking, you know, it's applying an expedition mindset to every day. And it's how you come trigger in and out of that. And for me, it's, it's, it's realizing one of the consequences of your actions, um, mm. having that situational awareness of, of what is actually going on and, sitting with the emotions and asking the questions why. I think that's a really powerful thing when something goes wrong and you have a big visceral response. It's just, a lot of people brush that aside, but it actually delving into why that actually is. Mm. Um, so that's, that was, that's quite a powerful thing for me. And I, I'm like, if I start having a bit of a hissy fit, I'll go like, no, 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 put your adventure hat on. Like if you're on an expedition, what would you do in this situation? And it's so funny, like that just helps me reframe the whole problem. It's like, all right, cool. Well, if it's all on me and I've got to fix this solution, this is, this is the path that becomes clear. Uh, for me, a couple of little uh, tips and tricks and, and whatnot is one was around fear. I think that's a really powerful thing. Uh, another thing is, is perfection. I think perfection in today's society, there is this, it's not something we should be striving for. Mm. It's an ideal, it's a standard that, that is, is actually um, a hindrance. Because um, mm. I think too many people in this life, and I get it, I, I know I do it. I strive for perfection in something, and then you you fall into this this endless search for something that's intangible, and and it, sometimes it can stop you from actually having any action at all. So, yeah, to a degree, it's just got to be good enough. Life has to be good enough. And on an expedition, what you do is there's two to do lists because like the to do list before a trip is huge. So divide that list into two, the things that you need to do to stay alive, the things that uh, you cannot compromise on and the things that are just good to do. Get through those ones. And if you can get through the other ones, great. But it's, you've got to be, it's got to, you've got to be safe. It's got to be good enough. Okay. Um, and I can't help think about how, you know, what's happening now in the world is, is making that way of thinking even more important. The world is unpredictable. It can change so quickly. The rug can be pulled out from under your feet. And you've got to react fast. They're all like very interesting kind of parallels to a day in the life of, uh, of an expedition. And yeah. they're like, there's even more need now for everyday people to adopt that mindset even more so than, than, than before. It's just an interesting time. Uh, yeah. And having a bit of a framework about it, I think is really important as well. I like, so like on an expedition, like what's happening today with this whole COVID pandemic, 
um, I think one of the first steps is, is, is automatically asking whether you're in danger, whether you're physically in danger, whether you actually need to move straight away in order to move yourself from that situational danger, whatever it is. And if the answer to that is yes, then obviously you do the things you need to do. But if the answer is no, then I honestly think just take a moment, take a breath, take a, you know, have a cup of tea, whatever it is, whatever you need to do to, to get a bigger, bigger look at the picture. Because I think too often, and I know I can fall into this trap, uh, I react. I'm too reactive at times. And so that forced check and that forced break, as long as you are safe to do so, to take that moment is a really important step. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, though, any action is better than inaction because like, you know, Sun Tzu, Art of War, you know, you can divert an army that's on the march. You can't mm-hmm. get it to move fast. So action is better than nothing, but to make sure that's informed, directed, thought through action. That leads into like kind of this next section, what I wanted to chat about, which is, this idea of micro adventure, and we, we talk about this quite a lot. Micro adventures for those that, that don't know is this is this idea of packing the all the good stuff from big trips into just real hot little trips that, that everyday people who have kind of nine to five jobs can slide into their lives and get a huge amount sort of back from. And uh, it's really kind of what we are explorers is founded upon is this this idea that we're we're all explorers really, and it's just express it in kind of different ways. Why do you think micro adventures? And sort of living adventurously are, are so of important. Microadventures, I mean, I'm going to use an exercise analogy. I mean, like it's great to go off and do, you know, a big kit of exercise on the weekends and, you know, get, get your, uh, your three-hour run-in or your three-hour cycle or a big swim or whatever it is you are, that, that sort of all-day climbing. But the 15 minutes that you can spare each night is it's so much better to do that 15 minutes every single day than save up for two weeks to get one day of full exercise. It's so much better to get those micro doses on the way. And I, I suffer from this. Like oh, I suffer from like wanting to do these big epic expeditions where in reality it's, um, it's about those little micro doses getting on the way to keep your, your levels kind of, you know, your, my energetically, my levels, you know, oh. um, and it's, it's children actually have been one thing that have made me sort of appreciate the micro adventure a little bit more because they have to be, hyper micro because you're dealing with their capacity with what they can do and so you know blasting around some of the beaches and exploring like caves nooks crannies or going up and climbing trees you know you can have an adventure and it's just in one tree alone you know with you and your kid and it's it's amazing to see them sort of experience mm. like huh i need to approach my life with a bit more of a childlike lens i need to be more curious and just make the most out of a certain situation rather than pining for this dream that I have mm. over there that's intangible, it's so far away. So mm. that's why I think micro adventures are so, are so mm. cool to do. Um, yeah. Alistair Humphreys, legend of a man to really kind of pioneer, I suppose, that movement. And um, totally. the idea of just disappearing off for a night, <clears throat> you know, you've finished your job for the day, you disappear off, and you have mm. a campfire and mm. sleep under the stars. Mm. You, the heat you get when you walk back totally. to the office the next day. And it, and it, you're right, it's, and it's got a childlike fun to it. And I think that's what I really get from, from the way Al talks about it all, is it, it really takes you back. It, it's not taking life too seriously. I, lo- I love that. It's, it's a really bad experience as well. Like if it's pissing down with rain, you know, it's just one night. It really is. It's, it's a short dose, so you can survive it regardless. If it was an epic expedition that was four months long and it was terrible the whole time, yeah, no, it'd be terrible. Totally. <laughs> Mate, think of all the Instagram likes as well, man. I mean, the, yeah, oh. your following's going to go nuts. Um, oh, yeah. Is that, that what we're going to do? We post the real stories, you know, behind it. It's like, here we go. This is what's going on. Just, you know, going to the park, sleeping in the park, and it was in a pile of dog shit. You know, it's like, oh, great. That's the juicy stuff. Good. But um, what would you say to someone who's keen to, you know, inject more adventure into in, into their lives? I think a lot of people they know what they. It's like they know what they want to do and probably what they need to do, but often there's a that distance between the idea and doing is is quite quite large. So what would you say to someone who's just keen to inject more adventure into their, into their lives? Like, have you got any advice? Find an adventure buddy. Mm. Seriously, find another person because it's like, it's so easy to get derailed if you're by yourself, you know, something will go wrong, you'll get a hit back and a setback. And if you don't have someone to share that experience with, mm. um, then I think it does make it a, a lot harder. So if you find someone who's got that enthusiasm and that passion and wants to go on a trip, um, then when you're feeling down, then they'll push you along and vice versa. So I think that's a really important, important step. And yeah, don't, don't search for the, like, again, back to perfection. Don't, don't try and make it perfect. Don't try and take too much on. Just, just do. Something is better than nothing. And it's crazy how much adventure is actually out there within such a short throw of the city. 
And, and that's why I've, I've fallen into spearfishing with such a passion. Like prior to that, living in Bondi, every weekend I was like, because Lauren had more of a regular job, I had less of a regular job, but I was like, let's go to the, you know, the Blue Mountains, we're going to go, 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 and sit in traffic for two and a half hours, and traffic on the way back home. And then the, what spearfishing stuff for me is I can get an injection of a true outdoor experience in a very small period of time. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you jump into the water off those cliffs, you are part of the food chain and you're no longer at the top. And, there's, and it, it demands your entire presence. Mm-hmm. And so searching for those little things that become um, your ability to, to, I suppose, trigger out of your life and focus mm-hmm. on, a, on a bigger picture. Some people that's climbing, heading off to the climbing gym, such mm-hmm. an awesome thing to get that little burst. But there's a lot of crags within the city. There's a lot of bouldering problems out there. You know, there's the cliffs over here in Diamond Bay. There's a lot out there, Linfield Rocks, all over the place. Completely agree. And, you know, you just, it's, it's amazing what's under your nose when you just have to, when you become conscious of digging a little bit deeper and scratching at what's, what's literally there. Like I was just taking Luna for a, for a walk yesterday and, you know, found the most insane rope swing at a, at a river that's just down, down the road. Huh. Um, I think I got a, a few funny looks with Luna strapped to me and uh, they thought, I think they thought I was about to swing in into the river with her on me. But, but yeah, you know, I, I, and I've walked that for a year or two already and I've only just found it and it's literally like three or 400 meters away. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the adventurer dad life thing is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it changes a lot. You, you have done something with your family when it was three that I think many people probably think is ludicrous. I'm, I know that you've had all manner of feedback from people go, oh, it's not safe. But can you tell me a bit about, first of all, that, that trip that you did uh, with Lauren and Morgan? Yeah, so when, when Morgan was 15 months old, we decided to do a big long walk and we walked um, 1,800 kilometers across the outback. So we started off in roughly the center of Australia, a place called Docker River, Kapujara. We walked all the way down towards Port Augusta. Uh, and that was 102 days. So it's actually my longest journey that I've ever been on. And if I was to look at the, the three major expeditions that I've been on, I'd say I'd, I'd scale them in a very funny manner. I'd go, yeah. Tasman, highest risk of death. Antarctica, highest risk of injury. Outback, highest risk of divorce. Because all of a sudden you're dealing with um, a completely different kettle of fish and like that stakeholder group, the people that are out there with you are so precious to you. It it does change. And um, it was the hardest journey I think I've ever been on because kids are so unpredictable. Mm. But it was the most rewarding to see Morgan learn to walk. She started walking two weeks before the trip learn to walk in the outback it was phenomenal to see and to see her approach each day for what it was i mean you're right we copped a lot of criticism in the lead up why are you doing this expedition with a kid it's irresponsible you shouldn't be doing this um and for us like seeing morgan just take each day as it come as it came was a good reminder that you know as adults as parents in particular as adults though you you fall into the trap of trying to keep up with the Joneses. You try and look at the status quo and think about this is what's normal and that's what my standard that I should actually be working towards. For a child, normal is just what they're doing regularly on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And as long as she was with mum and dad, that was completely fine and completely normal for her. Mm-hmm. And so it's to look at that sort of like a imposter of what normality is and challenge it on a day-to-day basis and have that curiosity of, of a child and openness to, to different experiences. Love that. But come on, are you sort of craving an escape from being a dad for a little while and and, go, and, uh, and just getting out there? I'm <laughs> just getting out there, just you and maybe, or you and Cass, or, or just to just go back to 25 year old Justin and, you know, and sort of doing it in, in, in that way. Like, is there, are you, do you miss that? I want to do more big trips. I do. I do want to do more big trips. I mean, I think for the for the next little period of time, I think the trips are going to be more family orientated. Um, but for for the big ones at least, and, and get small micro doses of trips, you know, that that I can actually push myself more physically and mentally because you know with kids you can't do that. It's more about their growth. Um, so yeah, I do have some ideas for trips in the future and plans. You know, Laura and I have talked about sort of doing trips where we're going to, you know, sail halfway around the world as a, as a family and do that sort of stuff. Um, maybe a big cycle, off-road cycling trip as a family, which I think we can do. 
But yeah, I want to I want to push the envelope on some other things. Now, I'm not going to go out there and chase experiences that I've necessarily done before. Like mm. I don't want to go off and do another big hiking trip or necessarily another big trek um, across the outback. But um, yeah, the idea of uh, you know ocean rowing and stuff like that really does cross my mind, and I think about it a fair bit because I want to be I want to experience a lot of different things. I don't want to sit on one track and go, you know what? Because I think that's a scary thing to do if you're a paddler in a kayak. The trips have to get bigger and bigger, and bigger, mm. and I think you, when you do that, you lose the sight of where mm. the line of reality and too far is, mm. and you can cross that boundary and end up dead. And I, I don't, I, I've got kids, I can't, can't afford to play that game. Mm. So yeah, no, there are going to be some big trips by myself, but I, for the moment, family is where it's at. Man, it's it, honestly, it's it's so inspiring for. Well, whether you're a parent or not, but just to see that the two can coexist because I think many people don't think it's possible and you're, you're showing it in such a fun and, and crazy way, but that, um, it totally is, you know? I, I was that person as well. I mean, like I, I, I didn't think it was. I was trying to like, how do I merge family and adventure, you know? And, and like this didn't really work for me. And my wife mm. at the time was like, how do I balance my, my corporate career and family? And then it was weird that we decided to escape on this family expedition to challenge that and to prove it to ourselves. Yeah. But it was really interesting actually seeing from some of the adventure community, um, speaking to people over in the UK and around the world, getting some feedback from them. It was like, you know, when I was on that journey, I was like, wow, you're doing it. This is what I kind of envisaged for my family. And I was never able to crack it. Um, and, you know, I've got an incredibly patient wife. I think that's one thing that she's willing to put up with me and my ADD sort of crazy behavior all over the place. Um, but I honestly believe that, that anyone is capable of doing the trips that I've done or the trips that other people do. It's just a matter of taking those progressive steps. So don't pigeonhole yourself and say you can't. It's just, the, and that's the whole challenge normal. It's mm. Chase your dream, not someone else's. All right, mate. So I want to know about, like, one of the things I asked you before the call was about a sort of a cherished possession, adventure possession <laughs> or souvenir from, from, from your adventures. And I'm sure uh, you've got a closet full of all sorts of, cool shit that has a, a fairly wacky story behind it but is there anything i ideally i uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get a, a photo of it to you know to go with the show notes but first of all what is it and, and i want to know why it's special what's the story behind it no worries well i was going to bring it along today but in the in, in the rush leaving the house trying to escape my four-year-old i actually left on the table in the kitchen so <laughs> it, it was it is a red Nalgene bottle that's been on my three big trips. And it's something that, you know, on the Tasman, you know, was my <laughs> on a couple of occasions because I couldn't find the pea bottle, turned into my pea bottle out there as well. So it had a bit of a distinctive tang to it. Down in Antarctica, you know, there was a couple of occasions where that happened as well, and you're hugging it to you for warmth down there. Um, and on the outback, I had that as well. And I thought I lost it at one point. And so Lauren reminded me of this this morning. She said, that, yeah, you, at one stage you, you thought you lost it and you wanted to turn around and walk back and try and find it. Like, and so it, it's been a well, while. It, it, it assumed some kind of uh, yeah, good luck, charm or status through the course of, of your, your adventures and perhaps losing it was going to be uh, the end of the trip. No, I don't think it's, um, it was that much of a superstition thing. It's just that it felt like that was a part of myself. Like that's, it's been on all my journeys, you know, and if I lost that, I feel like I'm lost losing a limb in, in a sense. And it's strange that I only save it up for the big trips now. I don't take it out on a day-to-day basis because I yeah. don't want to lose it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> I've just got this image of it now, like, like a, like a Wilson ball, you know, you put eyes on it, uh, you know, you really personified your bottle. It's like, it's your mate. You're never going to be alone in the wild when you've got that with you. Yeah. I mean, like, you know how Nalgene bottles, like that you can sort of like break the lids off. Mm. And I, I lost the top at one stage. And the thing is, I couldn't even take, I got a replacement lid and I couldn't even take the broken part off because that was part of the bottle back then. <laughs> so like, it's incredibly hard to screw on properly because it's got this other ring down the bottom. And it's like, like what are you doing? It's just like, oh, well, it's, a, it's just, it's got its own life. It hasn't got a name. It's got its own personality. <laughs> we talked a bit about this before the show. You know, you've got lots of things in the works. I don't know whether you're ready to even start talking about some of these projects yet, but I'm yeah. sure our listeners would want to know what's next for you guys they've been following along with these trips and uh, they seem to get you know crazier uh, in, in different ways as, as they go on but what's next for jonesy yeah it's an interesting thing this this whole covid situation has actually um 
kind of forced my hand in a sense. Like, as I, I suppose where a majority of my income sort of came in from was doing a lot of presentations. And the events industry is completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. And so the positive about that, it's given me the time and impetus to actually work on some of the other projects that I've had on the back burner for so, so long. So uh, one, like hinted at it, is um, I really want to sort of help people on, on their path through uncertainty, mm-hmm. through to navigate these, these crazy uncertain times. And so coming up with this concept of around adventure thinking and actually enunciating it properly and actually getting it out there to the world has, has been quite uh, important for me. So actually at the moment, filming a, a series of um, it's beyond a video podcast and that, that there's a, it's, it, the way I describe it is if you met a keynote, if a keynote and a podcast met at a bar and they decided to get down and dirty, they'd have this little baby, which is going to be this, this, this video podcast. There's, there's going to be part sort of presentation and part in depth Q and a, and I want to dive into the mindset of, of adventures and explorers around the world and, and how they navigate those uncertain times, you know, and, and what they do little, little tricks like that for, for people to digest in bite-sized little formats and go, you know what, hey, picked up something there. That's what I can apply to my life. Um, and then bringing that, I suppose, yeah, to the general public. And um, there are going to be other trips as well. There are. Uh, so that's going to be adventurethinking.com, by the way. But uh, there are other journeys out there. And so the next one, I think, if we can uh, negotiate as a family, is, is going to be, I think, a long cycle trip a long cycle trip uh, as a foursome. And that's going to be interesting. In yeah. Australia or do you, do you think you'll go overseas for that? There's a huge side of me and I, I haven't enunciated to many people, but I will tell to you that I'd love to do the length of New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, the length of New Zealand as a family would be pretty phenomenal. Um, hilly though. Very. That's, that's one thing. Um, and Lauren's kind of like, agreed to it partially but i don't think she really understands like how hilly the terrain can be at times and staying off the roads it's it's yeah going on that there's a there's a trail that runs up the whole length of New Zealand, basically a link of trails um so that's something there but in the seven year plan is yeah to sail from basically the mediterranean back to australia yes yeah. oh man there's so much there well if you if you want a pair of cycle shorts i can probably dig mine out mate oh nice yeah um, are they sentimental to you though? You know, they're going to be like your Wilson though. They've got oh, a okay. character odor. They've got a personality there. Little Henry. <laughs> that time for a time for a, for a second life, mate. So uh, it's all yours. There we go. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take Hank along with me then. <laughs> awesome, Ed. Well, on that note, thank you so much for hopping on. Justin, it's been so good to chat to you and yeah, looking forward to following whatever comes next. Mate, thank you so much for having me and I just love what you guys are about. So anyway, I can support, I want to do Wicked. Love it. For me, my Venn diagram of what the perfect life would be would be like food, adventure, family. Mm -hmm. That's sweet spot. That's me.